You're listening to The Red Tales, the Moddy Body Red podcast, which candidly celebrates the messy and iconic parts of our teenage years and our bodies. From juggling changing friendship groups, dealing with first heartbreaks, and waking up to changing body parts, our teenage years are filled with the most defining and often cringeworthy moments of our lives. Luckily, we're not alone. Moddy Body Red is the sustainable, easy to use period underwear for tweens and teens. It gives us the best protection against period leaks and stains, so we can ditch the pads and get on with living our best lives. I'm Sasha Meany, your host, and every fortnight I'll be joined by a young Aussie who isn't afraid to open up about the all-too-relatable moments from their teenage years and how they lived to tell the tale. Spoiler alert, make sure you listen to the very end of each podcast as we'll share with you our special Moddy Body discount code. I was a huge tomboy growing up. I tried to hide everything that was feminine about myself. I wore cargo pants, baggy tops. I thought I was somehow different or special for rejecting traditional femininity. But as I got older, I started noticing the women around me, the matriarchs in my family. Beautiful and powerful, they were the ones running the show. They had a power that was matched by their extraordinary capacity to nurture and empathize. It changed the way I viewed my femininity for good. I've still got bits of that tomboy in me, but I've also embraced more of my feminine traits. I had adamantly denounced ABBA as a child because of how fiercely my mum loved dancing to them, trying to make me dance too. I didn't want to dance. I wanted to be an angsty teen. And then in high school, I saw Mamma Mia and I realised how much ABBA's music related to my relationship with my mother. Now my friends know me as that ABBA person. It may seem trivial because ABBA can represent so much to so many people and it's not tied to gender, but it has become representative of my growth as I become more comfortable with my femme self. When I hear the opening bars of Dancing Queen, I see my perfect and extraordinarily complicated mother in front of a dinner party dancing on a table in a tiny dress as I roll my eyes. But she keeps going because she's loving the feeling of being independent and free more than her relationship to a man or to her child, but as her own being, enjoying the skin that she's in. That's what today's guest, Chloe Watts, is here to talk about. She's learned to embrace her femininity while living with a genetic condition that confronts the very idea of it. Welcome to the podcast, Chloe. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. (laughs) And how are you today? I'm good. I'm feeling good, actually. Yeah, great. And and what are you here to talk to us today? We're talking a bit about femininity and like learning to embrace those different parts of yourselves. Yeah, Uh, yeah, because I think sometimes when like, you know, going through puberty and things like that as well, it can be sometimes a bit, you know, it's very tricky and it can sometimes be seen as, you know, sometimes a negative thing or something that you have to like go through. But, you know, um, with what I've sort of experienced, I've sort of learned to see it as a positive, see it as a blessing. And sure. So, what is your experience with with it? Like, how did how did you? When did you first start thinking about it in terms of those constructs of feminine and you know that? Yeah, idea? Well, I wasn't actually till like quite a bit later on in my life because I found out that I had Turner's syndrome when I was quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like only ten. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Could where... you yeah, could you explain what Turner syndrome is actually? Yeah, of course. Thank you. I'll try and be like as 
sort of, I don't know, simple about it as possible. But no, be as detailed as you want. I just, I've never, like, I actually don't know anything about it at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, it's a genetic condition basically and it affects girls. Uh, and when I say, you know, when I'm talking about this stuff, I, you know, you're kind the of biology, forced to talk yeah. about, you know, things in quite binary terms. Yeah. It's not actually not as simple as that, even when we're talking about like biological sex. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I mean when I'm talking about, you know, male and female and things like that. But yeah, so it affects females, mm-hmm. girls, um, and probably a more well-known genetic condition in the same way that Turner's is a genetic condition is like Down syndrome. So yeah, it's okay. probably more well-known, yeah, genetic condition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically to do with your chromosomes. Every single cell in our body has genetic material, DNA. And so it comes in strands right? and they're paired together. So you get one side from your mom, one side from dad. And it's actually kind of cute. They come together when, <laughs> when you know, a baby is made. So basically I'm missing one of those. And because it affects females, so mm-hmm. I'm missing the one in the pair that is considered the sex chromosomes. Right. So, you know, maybe people might have heard in like biology, you know, um, males have X and a Y yeah. and females have two Xs. Right. So I just have one X. Okay. But yeah, it's funny that uh, it's one of the only things where like def- the female is the default, which I find really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what makes it even more kind of complicated for me is I you know, like I said, it affects every single cell of your body. Mm. So um, it doesn't necessarily have to be present in every single cell of your body, though. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, I have what's called mosaic Turner syndrome. Okay, it's not in present in every single, every single cell part. yet. All right, and because sometimes you know you might not be completely missing the chromosome; it might just be you know a strand of it, like incomplete a bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I found out at a quite a young age. Right, but I never sort of had a trouble with thinking oh am I a girl am I you know am I a woman am I female and you know what is that identity for me Mm. because I was sort of you know I've always been considered you know I was told it was for a genetic condition affecting girls yeah and I've always been a female identifying you know cisgender woman so that's kind of what my experience of that has been yeah and I got my period quite early which is interesting because Turner's girls they don't Usually, like, overwhelmingly, they won't get their period. Like, when my mum was, you know, I love my mum so much because she's really been the one who's, like, helped me through this. She had this phone call with a doctor or someone who knew a lot about this and I I saw that she'd written something down about how 98% of girls with Turner syndrome, when they're 21, by the time they're 21, they either don't have their period anymore or they never got it in the first place. Oh. And so... Um, it was kind of when I got my period, I was, yeah, like I said, quite early. I was one of the first and one of my friends who was probably one of the early ones too. She got it like after me. She called me. I was like, what do I do? do do?" (laughs) It's like, it's not a big deal. I I sort of hadn't really thought about it that much because before when I was first sort of diagnosed, if that's what you want to call it, um, they were just focused on the other sort of more, uh, like, uh, important health things about like, well, important, I mean, sort of more pressing and yeah, you know, sure. dangerous okay. things like, you know, uh, possible like heart conditions and things right. like that. Yeah. But all of that seemed to be fine for me. So the only thing with for me is my thyroid, which mm-hmm. I just have to keep a check of. So what's, what's, what happens with your thyroid, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, your thyroid affects so much in your body. It affects your energy. It affects your metabolism. It affects your moods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have like my immune system actually attacks my thyroid, oh. which is actually really one of the only things that 
affects me as part of Turner syndrome in my everyday life. In your, yeah, in your immediate day to day. Yeah, and it overwhelmingly affects women too. Yeah. So there are so many women who have like probably have thyroid conditions that don't actually know, know about, about it. it. Yeah. Or have it diagnosed. So yeah, so when you got your period, you would have been shocked. I'm assuming that it was, or were you like? pleasantly surprised or I sort of hadn't really thought about that much and I asked mum because you know she probably would have been more aware of the fact that you know my reproductive health might not be like you know I might need help in that area or I might not have you know get a period at all Mm. and I was like you know was that kind of a relief when I first got my period and it's like well we were kind of too focused on you know making sure that everything else with you You was okay yeah yeah so I feel I do feel really lucky though because you know Aside, aside, like I said, from my thyroid. I mean, I'm really short, and that's also another thing with uh, um, with Turner syndrome. Right, they're very short. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually taller than most girls with Turner syndrome, but yeah, and but people don't look at me and think that I have some kind of no. you know genetic condition. Yeah. They just you know make short jokes because I, just, <laughs> well, I'm just their friend that's short. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm also a short girl, and I also get short jokes all the yeah. time. No. Um, I was going to say, I was going to ask, with the uh, with the period thing, I think what's interesting and so important with what you're saying as well is that these kind of genetic things, as much as we do have names for them and we have diagnoses for them, mm. they don't, they're not the same experiences for everybody. Like, no. and, and I know that that word that you use, mosaic, in terms of um, your condition I don't know if that's applicable only to your like only to Turner's syndrome, or if it's uh, a word that's used more widely in terms of other genetic things. Because it is, it's yeah. a great it is, word yeah. for it. It's like bits just, and pieces, really. Yeah, you're just bits and pieces of things that are happening. Mm. Um, and this is like you know the an umbrella term that we use to talk about it. Yeah, but it's not necessarily like you're going to have everything off that syndrome or off that um, genetic, you know, difference. Yeah, and, like, you can have, like, actual male-female mosaicism as well. Right. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it's very common. Mm. Um, But, you know, it'd be interesting to find out within people, you know, sometimes these things aren't as actually, like I said, as binary as they Mm. seem. Like, you know, in everyone's cells, maybe there are some kind of, you know, abnormalities that we just don't see because, like I said, how many cells have we got in our body? Like, I'm... Also, I'm not a medical practitioner or anything, Neither. so don't take, my, <laughs> don't take my word as gospel if you want to yeah. you know, learn more about all this stuff, you know, do yeah. research. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, like who's to say you don't know until yeah. something happens and then you go to a doctor and you inquire about it further. Mm. And so but, many, like, hormones swelling around and things like that too. Yeah. So if, like, that's probably my most important thing that I reckon to you know, tell young girls who are, you know, going through puberty and things like that, is that if it doesn't happen normally or how you think it should happen, you know, it doesn't make you less of a woman. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen eventually. It just mm. might not be exactly how and when you think it will. Yeah. You know, if things are going to work out yeah. okay eventually in the end. You know? I know it's such like a personal question, but did you... Did you ever feel like, um, I'm trying to think of a right word. I sometimes call it squishy when it's like when I'm feeling particularly vulnerable about something. So like I remember when I, uh, I wasn't diagnosed, but I had went in for an ovary scan and I had all these like cysts, those uh, polycystic ovary mm. syndrome. And I remember just being so scared and unsure about 
my body because I was like, I, I didn't do this. I don't know what, what, like it's so off its own thing. It's doing its own thing without my knowledge of it. Mm. And I, f- I felt really vulnerable and scared because it felt so out of my control. Was that something that you experienced through puberty and like growing into the person you are today? Were you just unsure? I think I've actually, yeah, I've been really lucky in that I had Mm. so much support from, you know, my family, especially my mum, like I said, but because I, you know, I had lived a lot, you know, I'd been on the earth for 10 years before that. Mm. I kind of already knew that I was, you know, who I was a little bit. And so getting this diagnosis was like, okay, that's just something, I mean, is that going to change how I live my everyday life right now? Mm. Probably not. I mean, yes, I need to eat healthy. Yes, I need to exercise. And I've sort of learned that actually more later on, like, you know, coming to this point in my life going, I just feel so much better when I look after myself, you know. Yeah, Um, they're adjustments, but they're not mm. adjustments unique to your situation. It's like everybody should be taking care of their body in that respect. Yeah. I feel like I, I wonder actually if it would be, a little bit worse for me if I had found out when, you know, when I was even younger than that mm. to feel like I w- might have been less capable or I might have had learning difficulties or things like that because, you know, I didn't, mm. you know, I did fine in school. Yeah. Um, and but, you know, that's one another common thing mm. with girls with Turner syndrome. And it's just like, yeah, I just feel lucky that I didn't sort of feel held back by that. Yeah, because it's kind of like that Google doctor syndrome thing where mm. you read something and then you, you're you more worried about it than you would have been if you didn't know that it was a symptom thing. It sounds like you've got an incredibly balanced perspective of, um, you know, of just your life and how your life is in addition to um, this, you know, regular thing that you will have to deal with, but like not letting it overrun it. Yeah, sort of hasn't become yet is that part to your of my mother? whole identity. Would you say that's to your mother's um, credit or because you found out later or is it something that you've grown into a little bit more? A bit of both. I think mum mostly just helped me not worry about it so much because I am a very, you know, sort of a worry what. Sure. Um, But, you know, I didn't feel like this was something that would change anything because it was kind of a weird thing when it actually happened. It was just this random doctor who happened to come in when I was seeing my paediatrician. He looked at some weird things like my fingernails and my skin and he was like... I think she might have Turner syndrome. I think she could she should get tested for Turner syndrome. Did that bother you at all when they no, said those well, things? Well, mum and I were like, what? Yeah. Because we didn't know what it was. Yeah, sure. And the pediatrician was like, what? Because he said, don't don't look it up. Because he didn't think I he didn't yeah, think that had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it turns out I do. But yeah, at the time, it was kind of like just a bit thrown off by it. Yeah, and it hasn't changed anything about how you like um, as you're getting older. Mm. It. it have you been able to maintain kind of that self, um, self-awareness? self Like you're not phased by? No, I mean, I do have to sort of check up on my like heart. I get yeah. an echocardiogram every few years. Okay, yeah. So that's like an ultrasound in your heart pretty much. Right. Um, and that's something that if I do get pregnant, um, I need to really look after my heart and have mm. that sort of monitored a lot. Um, because, yeah, we're actually, and when you think about the um, amount of women who who died during childbirth, the percentage of women, um, because just statistically, because I have Turner syndrome, I'm 100 times more likely to die during childbirth because of that. Right. So it is something, you know, to consider. And it was something when, when I was young and I only first started getting my period, they were like, well, does she have functioning ovaries? Does she have an ovarian reserve? Does she have eggs? And so, you know, I was getting all these tests, all these ultrasounds. From the age of 10. 
Uh, yeah, pretty much. On your uh, ovaries? Yeah, I have one of the transvaginal ultrasounds, like oh, the pelvic wow. ultrasounds, um, which wasn't actually too bad. I feel like I've been a bit of a pincushion in my life, but they just wanted to make sure everything was fine. And, and luckily, you know, it has been. But it was it, the freakiest thing for me wasn't the physical aspects. It was more having to think about at 13 years old, do I want to freeze my eggs, which is quite an invasive process going through IVF and things like that. And it's expensive. It's like, expensive. It's an expensive thing to do. And it yeah. doesn't always work. Yeah. And because it's a genetic condition, you know, maybe um, like in my reproductive system, maybe that won't actually, I might pass down on another genetic condition. It doesn't necessarily have to be Turner syndrome, but it yeah. could be some other, I don't know, mm. abnormality. And it's like, so if you do freeze eggs and you find out they do have that, you know, um, you know, condition before they're even, you know, implanted. It's like, what do you do? Is that a human life? Do you choose another one? Thinking about that stuff. It's such an ethical, like, it's such a a burden it feels Mm. like to have to make those decisions when, like, I don't even have the words for it properly because I just think, you know, you don't want to have to confront Mm. it like that. Yeah, it was... There were some doctors who were like, yeah, let's get her eggs frozen. Let's do, you know, some kind of like insurance, you know, if she wants to have kids later on. And some were like, just wait. She seems to be perfectly fine in that department. So let's just leave it. And I'm kind of glad that I did. Yeah. Because part of me was like, oh, yeah, let's just do it and make sure, you know, if I want to have kids in the future. But now I'm like, you know, just take things as they come, Mm. you know, not worry so much about what will happen, you know, it's all going to work out eventually, you know, there's not, that's not just one way to become a mother or a parent if I want to, you Yeah, know? absolutely. And well, exactly on that, like there's just not one way of doing anything. Mm. Um, do you, in terms of like the non-scientific, the non-medical side of things, have has, you know, going through this experience and being so hyper aware of, you know, your men, your your mental health and also your physical health, has that changed how you view your femininity in your day-to-day? Um, not really. I think it's mostly affected by, like, um, the media that we all consume. You can't really escape it, can you? No. This idea of, yeah, masculinity or femininity and how it affects, you know, our everyday interactions. You can't really escape that. Mm. So my kind of philosophy is when you get into trouble when you don't live your life truthfully to yourself, to who you are. Mm. You know, some days... I will want to be more, I don't know, girly, if you want to call it that. I will want to feel more feminine and, you know, get dolled up or whatever. Some days I just really want to be, well, a lot of the time I'm finding now, especially with lockdown and things like that, I don't want to have to wear jeans again. I don't want to have to, you know, it feel, I want to feel comfortable, you know. If I feel good, mm. then I look good to me and that's the most important thing. I think one of the greatest things to remember is that, like, when you're doing what you want to be doing, mm or you're wearing what you want to be wearing, or you're in the job or in the hobby that you love, like it just comes out of you. Like you can just, people can just feel that warmth and feel that comfort and then also feel warmth and comfort in themselves by being in your presence. Yeah, because they don't feel like they have to put on a mask or project anything else because you're projecting that you feel comfortable. And I'm still, you know, learning how to do this myself. It's it's a struggle sometimes because you do feel like you can't you know, just really truly be yourself or whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a hard thing to learn. I don't think anyone's ever going to feel 100% comfortable in themselves all the time. But yeah. I also think 
part of being 100% comfortable or whatever, 98% comfortable in yourself is admitting that you're uncomfortable in yourself. Yeah, Because it's just not natural to be, like, completely self-assured 100% of the time. Yeah, it sometimes makes you less nervous in situations to be like, yeah, I'm feeling a bit nervous about this. Just, yeah, opening yourself up when people open themselves up to you in Mm. turn, you know, it feels like you can get sort of deeper relationships from that, which is something that I've sort of learnt as I've gotten older and realizing that I have quite a bit of like social anxiety and even though when I was a kid I was extremely like Mm -hmm. outgoing and bubbly and you know I would talk to anybody but yeah sort of growing up and being like okay I need to sort of figure out who I am and be true to myself. Yeah and lastly um, you know just to round off the discussion Mm -hmm. what would your advice be I mean I don't even want to say to your younger self but to anybody who is like faced with kind of confronting their own um, their own body or like or you know new medical things what kind of advice would you give them to you know well in my opinion it's like this thing like don't let it affect your your being like your your personality or like feel like you can't do anything that's what I would say but what would your like kind of practical advice be to those people who are concerned yeah I think that's that's so true not letting it sort of be who you are like Mm. deciding that for yourself and your body is amazing like even if you have figure out that you have problems whether it's endometriosis or yeah PCOS things like that they just you know it doesn't define who you are these these physical processes they don't yeah they don't make you more or less of a woman or a, a mother or a person and you can be whoever you want to be especially as a girl you can be a boss mm. you can be a mother mm. you know you can be a virgin you can be a slut mm. you can be you know whatever you want yeah absolutely well thank you so much for um joining us this afternoon and i really appreciate the time that you've given us thank you so much <laughs> Femininity was traditionally defined as attributes generally associated with women. Examples of stereotypically femme traits included empathy, affection, thoughtfulness, and warmth. Masculinity, on the other hand, were those qualities and attributes generally associated with men. Stereotypically masked traits included independence, assertion, strength, and competitiveness. These stereotypes, like any stereotypes, can be harmful we must start rethinking about how we view both masculinity and femininity. Our being and our personality traits are not associated with biological sex. The beauty of being human is how varied and complex we can be. We can be both strong and sensitive. We can be both independent and also crave affection. We can be both competitive and compassionate. By accepting ourselves as we are, we can stop dissecting our personality into parts that are masculine and parts that are feminine. That process forced upon us is artificial and exhausting. We don't need to choose either because we are combinations of them all. Thanks for listening to The Red Tales, the Muddy Body Red podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in to today's episode, related a bit too much to the story or learned something new, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. If you're curious about our underwear and you'd love to give it a try, head to our website and use our exclusive code REDTAILS15 for 15% off. You can even join the Red Squad by signing up on our website to receive exclusive VIP offers. Lastly, to keep up with all things red, make sure to follow us on Instagram at modibody underscore red. 
Remember, life is messy, but your period doesn't have to be. 